Cordy. Go get the provisions, you morphodite. Don't call me any of your mother's pet names. <laughs> what a wet end you are, Lachance. Shut up. I don't shut up. Shut up. I, I grow up. up. And, and when, when I look at you, I throw up. And then your mother goes around the corner and she licks it up. Oh! Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to another episode of Podstalgic. This is a podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. And I'm your host, Peter. And joining me on this review is Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast. How you doing, Gerald? Peter, what's up, man? I'm happy to be here. I'm doing great. Hope you are. Yeah, I am as well. Uh, thank you for joining me. I know it's been at least a couple months that we've been trying to uh, get you know iron out the scheduling and get you on the show. Absolutely. I love Podstalgic. I love your show. So I, was, I think we actually kind of accidentally connected because I heard you on So I Married a Movie Geek and you made a tough turf reference. And that was, uh, yes. that was that was how I discovered you, because I thought I was the only one that knew about that film. Um, so as soon as I heard that, I started looking up your podcast, and I listened to a few episodes, and I've been listening ever since. So yeah, like you said, ever since then, I've been trying to get on and, and do this film with you, so I really appreciate you having me. Oh, well, you know, I appreciate this uh, the love of support. Now, uh, that's funny because, like, the Tough Turf reference, uh, I think you're the second person to ever bring that up. Yeah. Uh, I think somebody else um, might have maybe listened to an episode of mine, and I dropped a Tough Turf reference, and they're like, oh, my God, I need to check out more episodes because <laughs> this guy does Tough Turf. Yeah. Uh, so it is a movie I did review uh, on the show, and I want to give a shout-out to Scott from It's Your Pick, mm-hmm. uh, who was a guest on that. He's the other one who's like, Tough turf. Somebody yep. else saw that too. <laughs> yep. That was yeah. That was the first episode I listened to because I wanted to hear y'all's take on that film. It brings yeah. uh, it brought Iron Man and uh, Ultron together. Ultron. That's right. <laughs> Technic technically. Yeah, you know, exactly. I jokingly call it, that's when uh, Ultron met uh, Iron Man. Mm-hmm. So if anyone hasn't seen that, I think. I think uh, for my review, I watched it on YouTube. I think the full mm-hmm. movie's on YouTube. Um, you know, totally 80s, oh, yeah. uh, James Spader, oh, yeah. RDJ, uh, who else is in there? Paul Moronis, uh, oh, Kim, Richards. Kim Richards. Kim Richards, yeah, that's, yep. the, that's the name. She's uh, one of the Desperate Housewives now, or was. Does, um, it could right? be was. Or, um, I think her daughter might have been on that show, too, or right, something. Right, right. But I sent, you the, I sent you a copy of the DVD that I have. When I was listening to that episode, I was like, I got to watch Tough Turf now. And you were surprised that I owned it. <laughs> and I told you the story about how I stole that I, from a okay. video store that I used okay, to work at. Okay, I vaguely at. remember. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I, do, I do own it. Not a lot of people do, but I do own that film. So uh, I know we're not talking about Tough Turf today, but it's one, of my no, favorite, it's one of my favorite 80s films for sure. Oh, yeah, me too. I need to get me a copy of that. Um, I just recently ordered The Wraith. So uh, thanks to how did this get made for reviewing it? Because I was like, oh, that's right. That was a thing. And so I had to get my hands on that too. Charlie Sheen flick from the 80s. Yeah. Um, but yes, Stand By Me, we're here to review this. This is a movie that you did choose. Uh, you said that this mm-hmm. is one of your favorite childhood movies. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back on when this movie was released, it was released August 22nd of 1986. The number one song at the time was Papa Don't Preach by Madonna. Mm-hmm. Great tune. Great song. Yeah, can you sing it? I, I, I kind of forgot it. You forgot. You always forget the songs. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally uh, kidding. Oh, I, I just okay. wanted you to sing Madonna. <laughs> Papa, don't preach. I'm in trouble deep. You know, you know that. Yeah, that's a yeah. Great, yeah. Very good, very good. Sounds just like her. Close oh, your you. eyes. Thank Sounds you. like Madonna. Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 
Um, now the uh, okay, so this movie it came out on limited release before wide release. So I'm just gonna go with the wide release date mm-hmm. again. That's the 22nd of August. Uh, other movies that came out that weekend here: Night of the Creeps, uh, not one I've heard of. Touch yeah. and Go, Reform School Girls. Mm, mm. Sounds that sounds good. <laughs> this sounds. I'm gonna add that to the queue real quick. Uh, and also Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Okay. All right. Oh, Let's I'm see. sorry. Extremities. That's another one that came out that weekend. Okay. It sounds familiar, but I don't know. Could have been only one, a horror. Only flick. one I could say I've seen, which has been too long to even remember, was the sequel to Chainsaw Massacre. I didn't see any of the other ones. I'm, I might have seen that one too as a kid. You know, something on TV. Mm-hmm. I, I was never really like a horror guy anyway. Um, but I, I know I saw some of the Texas Chainsaws just because of some of the friends I had. Um, yeah. I, I just kind of pulled up Extremities because that's kind of the other movie that ruled that weekend. And I'm trying to see who stars in it. Uh, Farrah Fawcett. Does oh, okay. That, does that ring a bell at all now? Oh, yeah, Farrah Fa- Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett, yeah. I remember her, my uncle had her poster in his bedroom. You remember the poster of her in the red bathing suit that was like... One of the biggest iconic images to come out of the 80s because it was kind of risque for the time. Uh, uh, probably if I saw it. <laughs> but that's my image of, that's my memory of Farrah Fawcett. But I did never, I never saw that film though. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much it uh, for the week of release. Now, this movie, Stand By Me, um, again, you mentioned that this is one of your favorites. This is one of my favorites, but this isn't one that I grew up watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do own it on DVD now, but I mm-hmm. think that's because when I first started the podcast with my son, this was one that I was eventually going to show him. Right. Um, and I don't think he has seen this movie yet. How old is I he? Would be, he's 17 now. Okay. You know, so when we first started, he was 13, so he would have been like the perfect age. We just never got around to this movie, and... Uh, watching it for this review, I was uh, kind of surprised by how much language there actually was. Yeah, and he, I still is. This is actually still okay for him to watch, even mm-hmm. at thirteen, um, because it's well. I don't know. Our first movie together was like RoboCop and Coming to America, which had a lot of F-bombs. Well, Coming to America has a lot for sure. It's, inter- <laughs> it's interesting that you say that, though, because one of the things I love about movies like Stand By Me, Stand By Me is probably, first of all, I should tell everyone, it's probably like in my top 10 of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, just one of my most favorite. It was one of the first movies that when I was actually 12 or 13, I, was, I want to say I was 12 when I saw it for the first time. That's when I really started caring about movies, and it was one of those first ones that I that I saw during that point in my life. But you were mentioning your son, and what I love about movies like this, my son's almost four. Um, mm. But Stand By Me, uh, The Sandlot, for example, um, maybe The Goonies. Like I can't wait till he's old enough to really like enjoy those films, and I get to show those to him and kind of introduce those to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like those three in particular really kind of stand the test of time also. They're, they play just as well today as they did in the 80s, and uh, I know Sandlot was late 90s. but um, So it's interesting that you say that because I can't wait like another maybe nine, ten years, and I'm going to be like, all right, son, we're having a movie marathon with all these coming-of-age films. you know. So Stand By Me will definitely be on the top of the list when that rolls around. 
Yeah, no, that's a great like triple threat that you mentioned there. Like Sandlot and this movie in particular are period movies, so they're they are very timeless. You know,、mm-hmm. um, so that's what I appreciate about them.、Uh, Goonies, obviously, I, I think is a lot of people's favorites. Is an adventure. It's just a, lo- a lot of fun. Not a lot of things really date that movie, except for maybe some of the dialogue and the way、right. they dress. I think other than that. Right. Kind of, kind of the same vein because you know they're on this treasure hunt the entire movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But、uh, yeah, this one、um, I can't even say that I watched it enough where I really learned a lot of the quotes.、Um, I obviously remember the premise of the movie. You know, you know four kids on、uh, on a journey to go find this dead body.、Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I remember Kiefer Sutherland.、Mm-hmm. Um, but that's pretty much it.、Um, watching it. This time around, I was like, okay, so it's a lot deeper. You find out、uh, backstory、um, of Gordy. I remember John Cusack, so that was a thing. Yep. Yeah,、uh, but also as as an adult now, you find out.、Um, I'm blanking on、uh, Corey Feldman's character's name.、Uh, Teddy Duchamp. Teddy, that's right, Teddy.、Yeah. So you know the the little drop about his dad later on.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so. As a grown up now, I'm like,、oh, okay, so this is what that means, and I started kind of like in my head canon, like、um, taking the clues from the junkyard dude, the things that he said, right, f- forming opinions and ideas. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, so th- this movie of the three that you mentioned, this is definitely the more grown up one, the the, the the most well written, and and all of that. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about、uh, the people behind the movie.、Uh, this、mm-hmm. was directed by Rob Reiner,、mm-hmm. uh, written by Bruce Evans and Reynold Gideon, which is also、uh, based on Stephen King's novella *The Body*.、Mm-hmm. Um, your main characters: we got Will Wheaton as Gordy,、um, Richard Dreyfuss plays the older version of him, credited as the writer. River Phoenix, rest in peace, plays Chris. Um, Corey Feldman, you mentioned Teddy,、uh, plays Teddy. Jerry O'Connell plays Vern. Yeah.、Uh, Kiefer Sutherland plays Ace. Um, I think that's it. But I want to give a little love to、uh, Casey Simesco. I do I, too. I do yeah. too. What are you going to mention? Because I want to mention Three O'clock High. Did you ever see that? No, but somebody—I don't know if it was you—but I swear to God, somebody, I,、uh, somebody else mentioned Three O'clock High. And for nostalgia reasons and for '80s movies, it, it did not—it's not on the radar for a lot of people. It's definitely like kind of an underground '80s flick, but okay, like Tim、uh, Turf. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but Casey, it's、okay. a com- it's a comedy.、Um, it was like around the Ferris Bueller time, so it was kind of that high school. Ferris Bueller ish kind of, but obviously that one blew up. Whereas this one was more underground. But Casey、mm-hmm. Casey plays the protagonist in that film, and the whole premise of the of the movie is, you know, they're in high school, and he inadvertently、um, gets on the bad side of this new kid at school, which is a giant bully. And when I say giant, I mean that literally, like he's he's ripped.、Um, so he's like twice the size of of Casey's character, and、um, and anyway, they they have to meet at three o'clock to settle the score. And the whole movie is him trying to get out of the fight, so he tries to create all these scenarios where he's not, where he doesn't have to meet him at three o'clock. You know, tries to get him kicked out of school and all this other stuff, which just ends up making it worse.、Uh, and then it comes to the climax of the film when they finally have their fight at the end. But I mean, it's a comedy, but it's it's just it's really entertaining. I th- I I think you would love it, so I think you should definitely look it up. But it's called Three O'clock High. I I like it already.、Uh, I definitely want to check it out.、Uh, my shout out to him was going to be、um, Back to the Future, which、yeah. he was in all three movies,、yeah. um, playing you know a goon to a big 
ripped bully. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's funny. But also he was in Young Guns, which I did cover. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. I forgot yeah, about almost that. a year ago with uh, Jay. So um, shout outs to him for that. We still need to do Young Guns too. Uh, that'll mm-hmm. be interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, and did I? Well, I know I dropped John Cusack's name earlier, did, but he yeah, plays Danny. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So he plays Gordy's brother. Um, so I already kind of briefly mentioned the, the the story. I don't think mm-hmm. there was anything else. Um, just the fact that I guess how they go about even hearing about this dead body, this this kid, mm-hmm. uh, Ray Bowman, Brower. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, Vern, the gosh, the overweight, <laughs> goofy kid. He's definitely he the was... comic relief, and he's kind of the fat kid, you know. So yeah, yeah. He he was under underneath the porch looking for his pennies. Uh, which, by the way, do you think he found them by now? Twenty seventeen. Uh, I, I, ho- I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, God, you know, it, I felt so bad for him. He's, how, how many holes did he bury? Like a hundred. There was a lot of holes yeah. under the. <laughs> I mean, where could it have been? I mean, he practically dug up the whole earth. I'm convinced yeah. Billy found it and probably stole it. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's probably what happened. Yeah. But yeah, Vern is underneath this porch while Billy and the uh, the other kid here, I, I I didn't catch his name, but they are talking about how they came across this dead body. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what sets off the boys uh, to go find, or to go on this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about this movie is the way it's written, how the kids act so organic you know mm-hmm. they th- these are the, the kids that you would know um you yourself were you adventurous did you go out riding bikes and doing things like they did we did i had two or three friends that i was pretty tight with and I mean, we would stay in our neighborhood and we wouldn't you know do this where we were hiking you know five six miles but um i had a connection to this movie for many many reasons because like i said the first time i saw it i was the age of the boys in the film Mm-hmm. And like I said, I did have a small group of friends where, you know, we would go out and just, you know, be adventurous, stupid stuff in the woods and whatnot. Um, but, you know, what was cool, what I, you were talking about the casting, what I what I read, I have this feature on the Blu-ray that I have because it's like the 25th anniversary Blu-ray or something like that. So I was watching the behind the scenes and for the casting, um, you know, Rob Reiner and the casting directors, they all four boys were that when they were that age. Like they are not acting, in other words, like they... Mm-hmm they basically carry the same personality as their characters in the movie. You know, Gordy was kind of the dorky nerdy guy who was kind of the outcast. And he, you know, he wrote poems and things like that. Um, you know, Chris was always kind of a little, uh, beyond his years. He was a little, you know, kind of like a father figure. Vern was kind of the fat kid that everybody poked fun at. And, um, you know, Teddy, um, Corey Feldman's character actually had issues with his father in real life at the time. Um, and you know, it was kind of like abusive and things like that. And in the movie, you know, the character's written that way too, where he has a really kind of troubled past with his father, but he also, you know, loves him more than anybody else at the same time. So I thought that was really cool that they were able to harness, you know, what all those boys true experiences were and then put them into this film. So I just wanted to mention that cause I thought I didn't know that prior to reading that the other day. And I thought that was really cool that they were able to do that. Yeah, I thought that's really interesting. The one of the trivia's in the IMDb actually is something kind of like that, but I think the more uh, more of the focus was on Corey Feldman, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. I think he himself has mentioned like this is the closest uh, mm-hmm. character to his real life self. Um, right. Right. Uh, but his character Teddy. So the the junkyard scene I was talking about where 
they're being confronted by by this guy, and he's like, "Oh, you're you're that kid, you know. Your your father's a loony." Mm-hmm. And like it, you know, I I guess I never took notice what Teddy was actually wearing. You know, he's wearing this OD green uh, T-shirt, which was uh, something um, very m- militaristic, you know, back in the days. And he right. also had dog tags, which presumably is his father's. And you know, he's he keeps yelling back at this guy. My father, you know, stormed the beaches of Normandy. So, so. Um, to me, I'm just all like, "Oh, Looney, you know, this is this is shell shock." Clearly, you know, right, his, right. his father had PTSD before that was a thing, and so I'm just like, "Man, the layers of of this character who we it's don't true. even get to see, you know, about his father." So um, I really did like that, and I'm just like, so the I guess the only question I had was like the the ear burning was that before or after? Yeah, it probably after maybe part yeah. of the PTSD stage. One of the things I love about that extension of scene, extension of that scene that you just mentioned too, is when later when they're walking afterwards and they're trying to console Teddy, and I think it's Vern, but he's like, "You think that piece of shit was at Normandy?" Right, <laughs> that's right. One, <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite lines in the movie. There's a lot of great lines. Yeah. Yeah, there really are. I, I actually wanted to mention, I thought of this, and I feel like maybe this is a theory floating around online too, but I feel like the dialogue in this movie between these 12 and 13-year-old boys, it's almost like it would be a script that like Tarantino would have wrote when he was a teenager or if it was a movie he was writing for kids. Do you know what I mean? It's a very like clever, kind of witty um, dialogue yeah. that they share with each other, and I could see it playing... In a Tarantino film, ironically, you know, if they're all sitting around a Reservoir Dogs and it's a very similar conversation, it's just more adult, you know. But I love the dialogue. I mean, the dialogue in this film and and the characters in this film are really you know, what carries it. It's not even the body that they're trying to find because that's kind of a a little payoff at the end. But like you said, I think the true payoff is throughout the movie when all these layers are peeled back to these characters. Yeah, that it really is the the relationships um you know mostly Chris and and Gordy who yeah. we see pair up in the beginning of the movie and they're the last two characters we pretty much see. Um another scene of dialogue that I really like is when they actually start their journey and they're about to go on that walk and they're like <laughs> yeah. all right what about food? <laughs> and no nobody thought about food. And right, like right. yeah, 12 years old, you're you're worried about other things like a comb. Exactly. Vern, once again, coming through with the comic <laughs> relief. Am I supposed to think of everything? I brought the comb. Yeah. <laughs> you know. He brought seven cents along with it, too. It's seven so. cents. Yeah. No, he's he's the comic relief throughout. He's he's great. Huh? He he really is. He's got a lot of good lines. Um, I do like how Gordy, he, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue uh, really during the journey, but mm-hmm. I like all of the, the flashbacks and stuff, right? I I, I'm not familiar with the novella at all. Have you read it by chance? I have not read it, um, but I did see that Stephen King... I don't know if this changed since the late 80s, early 90s, but uh, Stephen King has been known to say that this is the the truest adaptation of one of his works. Right um, Now, again, he said that in the late 80s, so I don't know if that's changed in the last 20 or 30 years because there's been so many. Um, but he was moved by it. Did you Have you read that? Did you read that? I, I did read that. Um, yeah. I think it was like with an interview with Siskel, uh, Gene mm-hmm. Siskel. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. But he, yeah. But, but Stephen King was moved by it when he saw the screening for the first time. He had to leave the room um, for like 15 or 20 minutes to like collect himself. And he came back and he told Rob Reiner and, and the producers, he said, that's the that's my work. That's basically an autobiographical version of what I wrote. And I've never seen that before. 
Um, so that's really cool. And, you know, being that he's a horror writer too, it's ironic that, you know, one of his most sensitive stories and there's no elements of horror at all in it. Um, aside from maybe a dead body, if you want to say that, uh, it's just ironic that that's the one that ended up being the truest. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because like some of his more non horrific movies and story or stories have been adapted into movies were the more successful ones, you know, mm-hmm. like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Uh, wasn't Green Mile also Green Mile. his? Yeah, Green Mile for yeah. sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are all pretty successful. Um, and then you have your horror ones. They are more cult classics. You know, sure. like I, I know there's a lot of love for Silver Bullet. I didn't watch it, you know, at the right age and the right time. So when I watched it, I thought it was actually pretty silly. Mm-hmm. Um Almost just as silly as it, really the uh, the 1990 movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for the new one, though. Are you? I am excited for the new one. You said you're not really a horror guy, but I'm looking forward I, I'm to not, that. I'm not, but I'm actually, uh, you know, I'm down for a good scare. Yeah, you know, that's why yeah. I watch like the Conjuring movies. Um, but yeah, the uh, to go back to uh, Gordy's flashback, I I don't know if that was part of the, part of the novella, but I don't know either. Um, if it was added by the filmmakers, I uh, I do appreciate that because it mm-hmm. gives us a, a little bit more of the relationship between uh, Gordy and his father, yeah. ultimately, uh, you know, paying off at the very end when he confronts Ace. Um, so I like all of that stuff, you know, the stuff with John Cusack. He's just really charming. Uh, it's it's sad. So for those that kind of forgot, um, John Cusack's character, he died in a Jeep accident, and uh, Gordy's father... He clearly favored Danny, the yeah. older brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a quarterback. Um, he went to Michigan State. And for whatever reason, he just never paid any mind to Gordy. And you kind of see that throughout the movie. You know, Gordy has always felt second fiddle. Um, he mm-hmm. writes stories that his dad uh, doesn't care about. Right. So, uh, again, just more layers from, from these uh, little teenage boys. Yeah, the dad was definitely more, you know, like into the sports and you could see that. So he was proud of Denny because of the sports background. And then you could see, or at least I got a sense that Gordy was more of a mama's boy where, you know, his mother um, really was drawn to him more for the stories that he wrote and his creative side, whereas his dad didn't care. And of course, right. all, all young boys, whether they want to admit it or not, I mean, they seek their father's appro- approval in one way or another. So. It was, def- it was definitely a very kind of like emotional thing if you really think about what Gordy was going through at the time because not only did he not have his father's approval, he, he lost the person closest to him and his brother. Um, his mom turned into a zombie. You remember that one scene where she's doing the yep. laundry and she just doesn't seem like she's even there? He's asking uh, for the canteen. Right, right. So you definitely feel for that character. And I'd also read that they did kind of write some of that stuff into the script to make the story focus from Gordy's perspective. Um, yeah. I guess I guess the novella plays more just kind of like the focus is the body that they're trying to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did read that as well. And it definitely plays because you, you're immediately, especially young men, you immediately connect with Gordy's character because of some of the stuff he's going through. Yeah, everyone seems to have a, a bit of a backstory. Do we get much on Vern and his family? Not really. I mean, he has that one thing where he has the elaborate plan that everybody's going to say they're sleeping over at everybody else's house. Um, So it kind of at least sounds like he has kind of a normal family dynamic. But uh, I I would think so. He talks a little bit about his mom when he's burying the pennies under the porch. But I don't think they really get into his background so much. Now, they deeply get into the other three, though, which is interesting that they didn't get into 
to Vern's, but I wonder maybe because he was the comic relief, they didn't want you to feel too bad for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that could be it. Like yeah. they're already, you know, making him the fat kid, and it's right. like, all right, that's enough. Um, but even if it was like a a very vanilla family background, that still would have been kind of nice, you know, because mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. always that one kid that can relate to that. Of course, yeah. Let's talk about Ace. So Ace, Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, I recently just did The Lost Boys. So mm, nice. Pretty re- so let me see Kiefer. I think this is his third maybe appearance on the show. Yes. I also covered A Time to Kill. You know that also had him as the oh bad guy. yeah that's true yeah he was uh, this was Stand by Me was early in his career though right I didn't look on IMDb but I feel like he wasn't too deep into his career at that point but I don't know maybe he was. You're probably right. I mean I know The Lost Boys came out a year after this. Right. It was kind of a renaissance time for him in the late '80s, I believe, early '90s. What a good-looking guy that in, in this movie. <laughs> yeah, Gordy nailed it with the dime store hood comment. I mean, that's definitely yes. what you think of when you think of just kind of the greaser, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. He played it. I mean, he was he was a great villain. I'll give it. I'll give that to him. Um, I, he played it, and he wasn't on camera very much. But you kind of always had this kind of like fear of him in the back of your mind, like he was going to show up and mess these boys plan up. And of course, he did try to do that at the very end. But um, when he was on camera, I thought he was a very unsavory um, character and he embraced that. And he was, in my opinion, he was a great villain in that movie. No, I completely agree with you. Uh, Again, one of the trivia that I read on IMDb is that um, Rob Reiner, he... Okay, so the part where they encounter Gordy, um, Ace, and... Eyeball. Eyeball, that's right. Uh, Chris's older brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I, eyeball is just such a weird name, but... It, it really is. But he has, that, he has that scar on his... They don't talk about the background, but I don't oh, know if you okay. noticed he had that scar on his eye, which... I'm assuming I didn't, is where I didn't the have a nice Blu-ray from. like you, <laughs> <laughs> right? So have I have an HD, so I got a <laughs> scar staring at me. But I think that's probably where the nickname comes from, even though okay. they never really tell you. But got it, got it. Okay, yeah. So I, I'll I'll definitely uh, need to update my uh, my my version here. I got the DVD. Um, okay, so they encounter Gordy, and then they steal his baseball cap. And from what I read. The decision for Ace to take the baseball cap but put it on eyeball is just to show that Ace doesn't even care. It's not about the hat, you know. It, it's about his his uh, hate for Gordy here. He's he, and presumably he throws the hat away after that encounter anyway. So Gordy never gets his hat yeah, back. We, I, you know what? That was one of the things that I didn't. I remember I didn't like about this movie. Like I know it would have been kind of cheesy, but. If Eyeball had had the hat at the, in that final scene, um, and then Gordy yeah. somehow got it back, or there was some kind of rustle and it ended up on the ground, or I don't know. I mean, I know it would have been kind of cheesy, and maybe a lot of people didn't think about that, but that was a pretty like sad. Mo- I mean, that was a pretty powerful moment because that was like one of the few things that he still had from his brother that was given to him by his brother, and you mm-hmm. knew kind of like Teddy with the dog tags. You know, you knew he was keeping that close to him because it represented a, you know Cusack's character. So that was a pretty sad moment when he lost that hat. So I think it would have been cool to like show up again later in the movie. But correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we ever saw it again after that scene. Like any, even anybody wearing it, it was a Yankees cap, and I don't remember seeing it come back up in the film. So no, it it doesn't. I I, I would have liked that actually. I don't think it would have been too cheesy. You know, if Eyeball maybe had it tucked in his back pocket or something, right. and at that moment he's like and you know give me my brother's hat back it's right. something that they could have written in that would have paid off where um you know maybe gordy was 
like punching on eyeball in the beginning. He's like, give me back my hat. Give me back my hat. You know, and then right. later on, he's like, all right, let me get my hat back. Right. Um, yeah, I wouldn't find that cheesy at all. Actually, I, I like that very much. Because he had the gun. So obviously, if, yeah. you're being held, if you're being held up at gunpoint, you're not going to deny him the hat. So, you know, yeah, like, exactly. like you said, it could have just been one or two sentences. Like, you know, um, after he got done doing his spiel with Ace, like eyeball before you leave, you know, I want my brother's hat back. And he, you know, throws it on the ground or whatever. Um, I would have liked that, you know, because like I said, it seems like a small thing, but I feel like it was a pretty big deal to Gordy. Or, you know, and um, maybe we could play up on the relationship between Gordy and Chris. Chris, you know, is Eyeball's brother. He just gets it from yeah. Eyeball, you know, at that point. So a lot of many right. ways. Right. Uh, but another thing with Ace is that uh, that one point where they were in the car and they're about to go drive over to the body. Mm-hmm. And then I guess they encounter like this other group of teens. Presumably they've uh, played chicken against each other before because <laughs> right, it's, right. It, it looks just like, uh, oh, it's another day against Ace. Right. And they're playing chicken and Ace is like going head on with this uh, yeah. this truck with a bunch of logs in it, and and he wins. He wins yeah. that, and so you you're like, okay, this this kid is fearless. Mm-hmm. He is definitely someone to be feared. And that was, I think, that was thrown in there to kind of add that layer to that character. Like he's kind of like the Joker. He just doesn't give a shit. Like he just wants to watch the world burn. You know, so he yeah. doesn't he doesn't really care what happens to him. He just wants to you know instill chaos amongst his quote unquote enemies. And of course, it's a really stupid thing like chicken in this case, but yeah. Um, he did win, and that was the only, the only thing important to him. It was almost like he would rather die than lose that that chicken, you know? No, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's crazy, but yeah, it it really is because uh, again, towards the end, when he has that gun pointed at him, it, it could be it could, it, like it would be lazy writing if Ace is just like, all right, you know, we'll get you for this. But right. the just the one line where he's like, you know, you're. You must have at least some of your brother's good sense. Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. What are you going to do, shoot us all? No ways. Just you. We're going to get you for this. Maybe you will and maybe you won't. Oh, we will. We're not going to forget this, if that's what you're thinking. This is big time, baby. So uh, just that exchange alone, where I'm like, all right, okay, I, I buy that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I mean, it, just just a, uh, Ace dying himself isn't even worth it. Because the look in Gordy's eyes, we as the audience, knows that he's kind of on edge, uh, having these flashbacks of his father, you know, his mm-hmm. breakdown in the previous scene the night mm-hmm. before. Um, all of those, like I, I totally buy that Gordy would have pulled the trigger. So I couldn't, couldn't have been any, uh, anybody else better to have been holding the gun at that moment. I agree. Um, do you, like if you think in a world beyond the end of the movie, and I know he's writing the story, which is what maybe 20 years after what we saw on, on film. Mm-hmm. But I mean, do you ever think like what happened to those kids? Did Ace ever catch up to them? Did he ever, you know, beat them up in the street or, you know, I always kind of wonder like, because you would think once they leave that setting and he doesn't have the gun to hide behind, so to speak, that, I mean, those guys are obviously much bigger. There's much more of them. So if he wanted to get back at Gordy in a, in a violent way, he could have probably easily done that. So I always kind of wonder, like, I wonder what would happen if this movie had played for another 30 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think they would die. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I I think uh, Ace would probably try to run them over. Yeah, they would definitely got their ass kicked in one way or another. So uh, yeah, at the very least, Gordy. 
but mm-hmm. he doesn't write he doesn't write about that either you know richard drivis's character so i don't know i guess we're just made to kind of just like forget like okay they they overcame that and they beat ace and that's kind of the end of it which i mean i'm okay with it obviously i love the movie regardless i just i do think about that when i watch it whenever i watch it i'm like i wonder what i wonder what ace did to those guys because he he looks at him with the knife and he says we're not going to forget this you know we're going to get you for this Mm-hmm. And he seems like a guy that would live up to his word when it comes to threats. So, <laughs> you, you know what happened uh, after this movie? He became a vampire. Is that what it was? Yeah, That's yeah. Why yeah. Got, then That's he why moved down to California from Oregon. Yeah. He joined. <laughs> he joined Julia Roberts and became a flatliner. I forgot. Yeah, that, yeah, that too. Yeah, after that, right? <laughs> or, or maybe he uh, became a flatliner before becoming a vampire. And then that turned him into first. a vampire. Exactly. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Now I see his arc. Yeah, I. I wish that this place was filmed a little bit closer to where I live because I would definitely like to check out some of these yeah. uh, shooting locations. I saw um, they have a whole thing there. Yeah. Yeah. Brownsville, Oregon. So that's just about, gosh, I don't know, somewhere between two and three hours from me. It's kind of near Eugene, Oregon, where uh, University right. of Oregon is. Um, I did read that back in, let's see here, uh, 2007. Uh, Brownsville, they started doing like some kind of uh, like annual standby me day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that um, too. Yeah, yeah, and they where Vern picks up that penny at the end. Mm-hmm. They actually embedded a penny into the yeah. ground so people could check that out. So really cool stuff. I would, yeah, I would love to visit that. I mean, I'm on the East Coast, so it's probably going to be. It's actually one of those things, though. I don't have a bucket list. I'm not quite old enough to have one yet. <laughs> but I feel like if I had a bucket list with like 50 things on it, I would put that on there. I mean, that's how much I love this movie. Um, I'm always kind of a geek about being in the place where something magical kind of happened, if that makes sense. Oh, um, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, even something as simple as like, I'm a huge David Fincher fan. So I love the movie, the social network. I don't know if you do, but, um, that came I enjoy out. it very much. Actually, yeah. uh, on original remake, we, we reviewed that and the founder because they were very similar in concept. Oh, cool. Yeah. I haven't seen the founder yet. I have it in my queue on Netflix, but uh, anyway, we and my wife visited Boston a few years ago and we were at Harvard square and so we went to have a beer at the bar where that opening scene takes place when Eisenberg has that really great um, breakup with that girl and that conversation they have in the first five minutes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, we, I don't know. That was just cool to me to be there at the same table where they filmed that scene. You know, it was really cool. So um, I would love to go out there and check that out. And I read Castle Rock is like a fictional town in Oregon for the film. Mm-hmm. And you know that later became Rob Reiner's production company. He called it Castle Rock, mm-hmm. yep. which which produced um, Seinfeld, I believe, which obviously is a huge uh, sitcom. But yeah, right. I would right. I, w- I would love to go out there and check it out, no doubt. Yeah, add add uh, the West Coast to that bucket list. Uh, after you check out Brownsville, Oregon, you can drive yeah. over to Astoria to check out you know shooting locations for uh, uh, Kindergarten Cop and Goonies. <laughs> there you, know, you go. So th- that was out there as well. Um, if people go back like a couple summers ago, my son and I, we um, well the whole family, we went to California, but my son and I, we drove off and went to. The McFly House from Back to the Future. So I stood there in front of the house and in the middle of the road where the DeLorean uh, takes off. And then we also went to the mall uh, at La Puente Hills. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I reenacted some of those scenes on camera just for fun. So you're talking about like Twin Pines Mall or what was Twin Pines Mall? What was Twin Pines, yeah. Did you go to uh, Doc Brown's house? Because my wife's actually been there. She, and I, I didn't. Uh, we didn't have enough time. Um, is that in California too, though? That's in Cali too. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes, my it wife. Is. My wife tells me every time that movie. I love that movie, by the way. One of my favorites. It's also in my top ten of all time. Yes. Um, but whenever that movie's on, she, just jokingly, because you know sometimes 
with your spouse, you'll say the same joke over and over again just to <laughs> really annoy them for, for yeah, no right. other reason. But my wife will just be like, I've been to that house. And then she told, she's told me like a hundred times. I'm like, I know, <laughs> like you tell me every time the movie's on. But um, you got you got to you got to catch her before she says that. And be like, have you been there? Hey, you been, been to that, that house? house? <laughs> hey, been to that house? We should go to that house. Yeah, yeah we should. Um, but no, yeah, I love I love that whole nostalgia of being in the place where something you know great was created, some piece of art was created. So I I, I feel that with you a hundred percent. Yeah, um, let's talk about the the lard ass story. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> well, that's um, gross. <laughs> it was gross. Um, why do you think? I mean, I'll ask you. I don't know if you were going to ask me, but why do you think? Again, I don't even know if this is in the novella. Um, right. Maybe you have that information. I don't know if it was, but I don't. I'm just wondering why it it was put in there. I don't. I guess it was to illustrate his storytelling abilities. I'm not sure, but it it was so different than any other narrative in the movie. I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was disgusting. Um, yeah. But I enjoyed the the story. Like if I was sitting around the campfire hearing the story, you know, I would like hearing that story. But I don't know. It just seemed like oddly placed I, I don't know why do you think they did that um in my opinion i i think it's kind of like the the flashbacks with uh, john cusack and gordy's family it's just another thing to kind of uh, keep us engaged you know because mm-hmm. maybe some would lose interest if it's just them walking along and just improving you know as, as they go you know mm-hmm. because uh, I think either before or after the Lard Ass story, there's a, a bit of a montage of them just asking each other uh, great questions, which mm-hmm. we'll get yeah. to because there's one that I want to bring up that I think about <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah, but um, the the story, yeah, I think it's just another thing to kind of make it less boring. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of like the deer, the deer shot, right? Like there's no payoff for that deer. Gordy just says, right. I thought about telling them about the deer, but I didn't. You know, right. like something like that. I, I was just like, okay, it's, it's just another visual cue i guess you know to kind of just um just make it more entertaining but what i did read was i think rob reiner he he's like what kind of writer would gordy end up being like you know like oh like like a stephen king but gordy you know uh, the the story he tells is definitely more that of like told by a 12 year old you know so Mm -hmm. it's a little kooky and kind of just silly right and that's that's really it but even as a kid watching that pie eating contest and every time Lardass would say done, I'm like, no, you're not. There's plenty of crust right there. How is that's that done? That's true. Yeah, he wasn't really. That always yeah. bothered me. That's like the only thing that's, that bothers me in this entire movie. It's like yeah. he would say done. And he's he went through like at least five pies. I think, I don't know because I've never been in a pie contest, Peter. So don't hold this against <laughs> me. But I think okay. if you get to the bottom of the dish, mm. that's when you can say you're done. I think... Um, again, I've never been in a pieing contest, so they may have just been, like you said earlier, they may have just been lazy and was just trying to show him getting through a bunch of pies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we well, you know my favorite part of that whole scene is though, is, um, at the end when they're all like, woo, and they're all cheering because it was such a great story. And then Teddy's like, and then what happened? Oh, right. <laughs> Gordy's just like, what do you, what do you mean? Like he went home and he celebrated with a couple of cheeseburgers. <laughs> Teddy's like, that sucks. <laughs> he should have like killed his father. And he makes up this whole elaborate, like, you know, um, but that's my favorite. Teddy's obviously a little out there. So that was my favorite kind of off the cuff comment from that scene. Well, mine was right after that with Vern. He's like, hey, but. Oh, man, that was the best. Just the best. Yeah. <laughs> that would happen. What do you mean? I mean, what happened? What do you mean, what happened? That's the end. How can that be the end? What kind of an ending is that? What happened to Lardass? 
I don't know. Um, maybe you went home and celebrated with a couple of cheeseburgers. Jeez, that ending sucks. Why don't you make it so that so that Lars goes home and he shoots his father, and then he runs away and and he joins the Texas Rangers? How about that? Uh, I don't know. Something good like that. I like the ending. The barfing was really good. But there's one thing I didn't understand. Did Lardas have to pay to get in the contest? No, Vern. They just let him in. Oh! Oh, great. Great story. Yeah, it's a great story, Gordy. <laughs> I just <laughs> That's great. And it also illustrates like Gordy's audience. Like he needs right. a better a better audience, you know. Yes. <laughs> they're not appre- they're not appreciating the core of the stories, but Right. Uh, the the look on his face, he's like, yeah. "What? What are you talking about? That that is the end." <laughs> it was a it was a weird scene, um, but I mean, like I said, I did enjoy it, and, and I think and the movie's only an hour and a half. I can't remember if you mentioned that in the beginning, but not even, it, like yeah, eight, not yeah, just just not, right under, yeah. not even. So I mean, even putting scenes like that in there didn't it didn't prolong the film. So I was not okay at all. With, I was okay with it, and and that's probably what it is. They're like, you know what? We don't have enough here. We're we're looking at an hour and ten minutes, <laughs> you know. So we got the flashback with the family, the pie eating contest that just puts them right under an hour and a half. Um, very well paced. Right. Uh, the leeches, you know, that scene right there, that always creeped me out as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I don't believe they would put real leeches on kids. But even when the kids remove the leeches, you know, the, there seems to be like minor bruising and bleeding. You're just like, ah, you, you can't help but cringe. Yeah, you have the feel, you have the feel of being there for sure. I'd never, at least in my knowledge, have been bitten by leeches, but, um, if I ever, I mean, I think about that scene anytime it's like, um, not salt water, but what's the, um, you know, like fresh water, you know, okay. like lakes or ponds or anything. Like that. I always think about that scene. Um, and actually that scene from that, from stand by me and also some different news stories I've seen, which I don't know if you've seen, which are obviously much more tragic cause they're real life, but I've seen stories of, um, in natural lakes and waters where uh, there's like a brain eating amoeba. Have you seen that? And like, no people have died because like the amoeba will go up through their nostrils and get into their brain. And I guess by the time doctors are able to figure out what it is, it's too late and it kills you within like a week. So anyway, I know that's super depressing, but the reason I bring that up is because of stand by me and those types of stories. I don't go in any like freshwater. Like I don't go in lakes. I don't go in ponds. Um, it just freaks me out, you know, I just, and then that scene is kind of what started that for me. I also don't really like the ocean now that I think of it. Um, <laughs> so oh, interesting. Okay. The only, the only waters I'll really go in are like man-made like pools, uh, okay. you know, and, and lazy rivers and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think, uh, I'm quite that severe, but, uh, if I can see the ground, if I can see through the water, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah. I, I definitely yeah. wouldn't get into a uh, water where I, I, you know, it was, it's way too muddy. That's a good point. Um, the ocean. Yeah. We were just at the ocean, so I could definitely do that, but I wouldn't submerge my body too far in yeah. something where I can't see the ground or yeah. at least half of my body. But you know, it's weird because this is kind of like an innocent movie and an innocent scene and like, those leeches for me, because this movie was so impactful to me, are very similar to like what people felt about sharks with jaws. You know, they wouldn't go in the ocean because of jaws back in the early 80s and late 70s. And it's kind of like that's me with lakes and leeches. <laughs> not quite as frightening as jaws, but I'm just right. like, oh, I'm not going in there because of the leeches from Stand By Me, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, let's talk about the uh, where the kids kind of end up a- as they grow up. You know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. we have the writer. He kind of recaps the uh, well. He's he's writing this uh, the story himself, which is a great callback to when uh, Chris is consoling Gordy. You know, when when he's breaking down, talking about his dad in. Chris is like, oh, you know, maybe in the future you'll write about us. Uh, mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. The, the one thing is like this story, this movie, they use a lot of uh, slang and and mm-hmm. um, phrases that we don't use. But mm-hmm. the, what Chris was ask, saying to him, was he basically saying, if you run out of ideas, you can always write about us? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. He was like saying, if you're hard up enough for material. Um, yeah. yeah see, I, I didn't quite get what he was trying to say. I mean, the context was there. but. Yeah. So yeah, at, at this point, you know, um, Gordy, he's kind of just reminiscing. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't really mention the movie starts off with like Gordy as a grown man sitting in a car, mm-hmm. and had he just heard about the passing of Chris? Was that? Yeah, he read okay. it in the paper, and um, he he read in the paper, you know, Chris Chambers fatally stabbed at diner or something to that effect. Right, and, and then two and boys then ride by. Right, and then he sees the kids of of you know twelve, thirteen year old kids ride by, and it's almost like he has an epiphany, like. To what you're referring to, which we mm-hmm. see later, he almost has an epiphany like, "Oh, I should write a story about me and Chris." Um, and then, of course, he does, and the movie plays out. So, um, I'm not trying to be funny at all or anything, but this this story, aside from the adventure, this is really like a love story between Chris and and Gordy. You know, yeah. their their relationship is very very tight. Um, I can relate to this story because uh, I had a cousin that uh, died in a freak accident. Almost, almost like Denny, but my cousin, he was 14, uh, and this was the summer before freshman year. So he hadn't even started high school and he died. And, uh, I was, I was 15, I think. I'm, I'm a year older than him. And, uh, we used to hang out all the time. We were just as close as, uh, uh Gordy and Chris. So kind of watching this took me back a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and matter of fact, just, uh, not just a few days ago was the 19th anniversary of his passing. Oh, man. So, yeah. And so, you know, this movie, uh, it's, it's kind of funny as an adult. Now it takes me back. So are you, so are you Gordy or are you Chris? And that's in your scenario. I was definitely Gordy. Gordy um, okay. Yeah. The, the, the story with, uh, my cousin, uh, he was very much the Chris Chambers, you know, um, not so much that he had a reputation because of, uh, because of his family. His family had a, a reputation because of him, you know, getting okay. into trouble and all those things. And, you know, we were family. So we hung out and I was gone th- that summer, uh, visiting my mom in California and I came back and my stepmom was like, Hey, such and such has been hanging out with the wrong crowd. I, don't want you hanging out with him anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was difficult for me to do, but I, I was, I listened to my parents, you mm-hmm. know, at that age. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't even call him when I, when I came back. And it was maybe the day after that I came back is when he died. Mm, that's tough, man. That's tough. Yeah. I, I remember getting a call from his dad and then his dad asked to speak to mine. And I, I forgot how it happened because my dad came running into my room to see if I was there. So. Yeah, I won't get into that whole story, but... That's definitely tough, and I could see how the Gordy Chris story would speak to you because of that. Um, you you mentioned how, they, how the characters ended up, um, which I thought... I, I mean, I was going to ask you, but I feel like how e- all four of them ended up is how I thought they were going to end up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, there was nothing that I heard, uh, like Teddy and Vern and everything I heard was like, oh, yeah, that's what I thought what they would, they would that do. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
It was not, nothing too far-fetched. No, not at all. Like even with Chris um, becoming a lawyer, well, he is so tight with Gordy that he goes to college with them, you know, as Gordy mm-hmm, says. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a guy that just kind of always pushed himself. And you can kind of see it even with him as a kid. He always tried to be the better person, right? Mm-hmm. The, um, you know, try to get out of the shadow of his family. Uh, just with that story that he shares with Gordy about uh, stealing the money. You know, like even I, for for like a split second, was like, oh, they just blame him because he's a Chambers. Like, he didn't right. take the money. And then he's like, I took the money. <laughs> you right. know, because But Gordy he tried asked. to do the right thing. He tried to do he the right to do thing and give thing. it back. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I think that's the arc of his character is that he always tries to do the right thing, even though he's tempted sometimes to take the easy way out. So right. when he when he tried to save whoever, I don't remember the exact scenario, but I guess he mm-hmm. tried to save someone that was being attacked in a diner and he ended up dying. Right, and you, you could see his character, you know, doing that. I mean, he basically was about to be stabbed by Ace in that final scene, in an effort to not lose what they had been, what their journey had been for. So yeah. you could you could kind of see that playing out that way. And then I think he says, "What did he say?" He said like Teddy took a bunch of odd jobs and was like a busser in a restaurant or something. I can't remember. I, I Teddy's the one I forget. I, I think yeah. I was more shocked the fact that Vern got married and had four kids, which you know you can believe now with Jerry O'Connell, <laughs> right? If he looks like the current present day Jerry O'Connell, yes. it's not surprising. But, um, yeah, I can't remember what Teddy's was either, but I feel like him and Vern's stories were kind of like they definitely weren't glamorous, and they never got out of that town. If I'm remembering correctly, um, yeah, which you, which you could kind of feel like was going to be the case. Um, and then obviously Gordy and Chris had a little more education and, um, you know, they were able to get out, so to speak. Um, and I, you know, like I said, that kind of played like that throughout the movie where I could kind of expect that to be the outcome. Yeah. I'm just kind of looking up real quick. Um, it said that Teddy tried enlisting into the army, but was turned down because of bad eyesight and an ear injury. Yeah, There you go. So yeah, the ear injury, they kind of like just touched on when they said that his father, uh, put his ear to the stove. So, Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm. Yep. I that that I wonder if that did anything to his hearing because the ear injury itself shouldn't have been a big deal and the eyesight his eyes must have been really bad but yeah, he had those um, glasses that were like uh you know the the what do you the fishbowl glasses you know yeah like they they should have played up that stuff a little bit more like I I get maybe trying to follow in his father's footsteps yeah um, that's the thing I think that's yeah. the I think that's the thing to take away is that once again. He's trying to seek the approval of his father. So, you know, in his mind, if I join the army, if I do what my father did, he'll love me. Uh, you know what I mean? That that kind of thing. I, I know because I did that exact thing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you uh, were a little, you were a little bit of all four of these kids. <laughs> I, I guess so. Yeah, uh, I might have been uh, a big dork like Vern too. Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. um, kind of like Gordy, I grew up to be some sort of content, you know, creator <laughs> instead of writing. I'm yeah, I'm a podcasting. But you know, I I didn't used to write stories. Um, in high school, uh, I did write a lot of narratives, and I remember writing the story when I was a sophomore, I think I was, and it was one of those nights that we were supposed to write a just a narrative story on whatever topic we wanted, and mm-hmm. I procrastinated. I, I literally wrote it the night before it was due, and I got an A on it. And very much like Gordy, my story kind of ended 
just abruptly, not a cliffhanger, but just it just ended. Mm-hmm. And my teacher's like, "What happens?" I go, well, "I don't know." <laughs> so your teacher, like, your teacher pulled a teddy, and then what happened? <laughs> yeah, and well, the thing is, like, I, I don't know because that's where I just decided to end the story because I I've been up late writing it, and she was like, "You know, I'll give you extra credit if you finish it," and and I did. So I oh, finished cool. the story, and uh, when I wrote the story, the biggest thing online was AOL. You know, mm-hmm. AIM. You know, um, of course, yeah. So I I sent it to some friends who sent it to some friends. It ended up kind of being what was then viral, you know. Uh, and I was getting people hitting me up out of nowhere, like, "Hey, I read your story." I'm like, "You did? How did you get? How did you get a hold of my story?" <laughs> That's and cool. One person actually reached out to me, and they're like, "It reminds me of Suzy Q. Did you ever watch that TV movie?" With I've um, heard of it. I never saw it. Yeah, it was starred Amy Jo Johnson, who was a Power Ranger, the Pink Ranger. But anyway, the story was, um, and after them them making it, I go, you know what? Could have been a little bit of an influence after having seen seen that movie. You know, yeah, people get true. ideas from other things and they don't of course, even think yeah. about it. Yeah, exactly. So, I um, I think that wraps up. The, is there anything else uh, you want to talk about that maybe we have missed? Just the music from the movie. I wanted to touch on that. Oh, um, great soundtrack, man. Let, oh, let me just... let me go through the track listing if I could. Um, yeah. Every Day by Buddy Holly. Mm, uh, so good. Let the good, good Times Roll, Shirley and Lee. Come Go With Me, The Dell Vikings. Whispering Bells, The Dell Vikings. Uh, Get a Job by The Silhouettes. Lollipop, that's a personal favorite, by The uh, Cordettes. Mm. Yakety Yak, The Coasters. Great Balls of Fire, Jerry Lee Lewis. Mr. Lee, The Bobettes, and Stand By Me. Which mm. I, I don't know who it was exactly, but I think um, I read that Michael Jackson was approached to do a cover of Stand By Me. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, and then uh, Rob Reiner just decided to go with the original, which, why do a cover? If uh, this movie takes place back in the day, why go with something new and fresh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I obviously love Michael Jackson, one of my favorite artists, but I'm actually, I'm glad they didn't do that now that I, I'm hearing that for the first time, and I mean, the Benny King version of that song in general, but especially when it, like you were talking about Chris and Gordy's, you know, relationship and friendship. I mean, that song basically was written for that 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 friendship. Yeah, um, it's almost like they wrote that song, so it went really well. I, ironically, I read or I saw on my Blu-ray extras that Rob Reiner and a bunch of other people involved in the movie didn't want to call it the body because they felt like it sounded either like a film with sex. <laughs> or like a or or like another one of Stephen King's horror films. Right. So they wanted they wanted something different for sure, and they basically just threw out a bunch of ideas. And Stand by Me was the least worst one they said. <laughs> right. So it was like the lesser of the evils. So they didn't really like the title, um, but they went with it because it was the best one they could come up with. And then they kind of you know it was spawned from that song, so they kind of attached the song to the movie. And it took on a whole new meaning. But, you know, the only thing I wanted to say about the soundtrack is that, you know, I was 12 or 13 when I saw this movie, didn't know any of those songs prior to seeing this film. And that in 1987-ish, when I saw it, that was when I really added oldies, like, to my repertoire. Like, I love oldies music to this day, 30, Mm -hmm. 30, 31 years later. So that movie kind of introduced me to oldies music. And I've loved that genre of music ever since. It's such an innocent time i mean buddy holly richie valens i know you recently did the la bamba episode mm-hmm. but just just such a like innocent time in music you know you're singing about holding a girl's hand and you know taking flowers to her door and i mean nobody sings about that anymore no they <laughs> sure know, don't you know, everybody <laughs> sings about hoes and you know whatever, whatever else so right. 
but that was my connection to the soundtrack just because it really introduced me to oldies music and I've loved it ever since. So I kind of owe that to stand by me to that soundtrack. Yeah, for me, I definitely have an appreciation for older music. You might have heard me talk about it on La Bamba, but um, I just kind of grew up listening to everything my dad listened to because I wasn't allowed to watch MTV. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Everly Brothers, Beatles, yeah, uh, Elvis Presley, sure. I'm familiar with all of that stuff. Um, and Michael Jackson, like we kind of mentioned. Uh, so let's, let's talk about what some of these sites have the movie rated as. Okay. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. Um, very, very different in rating. We got hmm. Stand By Me has a fresh rating on Rotten Tomato of 91%. On IMDb's 8.1 out of 10 by the, by the viewers here. Oh, that's good. Uh, where, where would you yeah, lean good. more on uh, with those two ratings? I mean, I'm biased. <laughs> so actually, I didn't know if you were going to ask for me to guess. And I was probably going to say about a 95 on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, I mean, I would probably give it, I mean, I would give it an A+. Plus, yeah. uh, but if I was doing on like a 100 scale, I mean, I would maybe give it a 97 or a 98. I mean, it's just one of my favorite movies ever. I can't think of anything in the 90 minutes that I would take out. Um, I mean, all the performances are great. Like we talked about, the music is great. Uh, Rob Reiner had been an actor really leading up to this and it was kind of like his first real big directorial effort and it was just he knocked it out of the park Um, you know I mean I love this movie so I would probably go more with the Rotten Tomatoes score but I mean 8 out of 10 on IMDb is not bad I mean that's that's a pretty good because I think that's a user rating right that's like viewers yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. so so I would probably lean more towards like 94 95 okay Yeah, I agree with you. I'm going to lean more with the Rotten Tomato score as well at 91%. Um, this is a near-perfect movie for me, and I don't really have any nostalgic ties. Um, I did really enjoy it, watching it as an adult now because you you pick up on things that you, you, you know wouldn't have uh, as a kid. You know, this isn't like mm-hmm. Goonies, you know, so it's not high adventure or anything like that. This is really um, kind of character pieces, and you, you mm-hmm. get to really learn the backstory uh, backstories of these kids with just the dialogue alone. So, you know, you're kind of being right. uh, told and not showed. And, and I really like that. So just really great writing. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners where they can find two peas in a podcast and uh, maybe sure. an episode, you know, if they haven't checked it out, what, what's a good episode for them to start off with? Well. <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. Uh, we okay. Well, two peas on a podcast is me and my buddy Andy, and we're just good friends that are also coworkers. And we started it a little less than a year ago. We've been doing it pretty religiously every week. But the the premise of the podcast is just like a weekend review. So we talk about light topics like pop culture, movies, music, you know that kind of thing. Um, but we also talk about the deeper topics, which lately have centered around politics and Trump and you know things like that. Um, but we talk about basically, you know, if you were to turn on a news program or if you were going to your Facebook feed, for example, you know, anything that would pop up is fair game to us. So we talk about everything. Um, if there's want to start out, I mean, I would definitely recommend one of the more recent ones because then it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be dated, right. so to speak, um, because we're talking about whatever happened that week. So we just did our 41st episode. We had a lot of talk about Taylor Swift because I love her and she just came back she, to music. She sure so. did. At three years, right? Yeah, three year uh, hiatus or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she came back She came back with a vengeance too. So It's, it's, a, it's a catchy um, song for sure. I, I do I do like that chorus. Is. That's a very catchy chorus. Yeah, it's good, man. I'm, you, you know, I'm a huge, I'm a Swifty. <laughs> okay, I'm a Swifty okay. as they say. <laughs> 
so we spent a lot of time on her this this past week um and we also do actually you're going to do one with me um soon which is we do all these top five lists so we and I know you have a show on that as well, but we just get together with usually with a guest like like yourself and we'll do our top five, you know, whatever topic it may be. Next week, we have two coming out. We have um, top five sci fi TV shows um, that I did with Ashley from Rabbit Ears. That's a, that was a really fun episode. And then uh, we, we're also going to do the top five Game of Thrones moments of this show. Uh, do you watch Game of Thrones? I do, too. I'm, I, I, yeah. I am one episode behind. The finale. Okay. Oh, you got to see, see the, the finale, finale yet? Yep. Okay, uh, pfft, dude, that's a bomb drop. Make sure you make you're sitting down when okay. you watch that one. Um, but we love that show. So I had Casey on, and she actually plays Khaleesi in Game of Thrones, the musical. So it was fun to have her on for that. And we that'll be out next week. Both of those will be out next week. So you know, I would say start with one of our top fives because it's the more funner side of our show. Um, but if you're into, if you watch the news in any capacity, or you read the newspaper in any capacity. Then our show is cool because it's a wrap up of the news, but we keep it fun and we keep it light and we don't get too dark. Um, you know, sometimes the news can be super depressing, mm-hmm. so we try to keep it a little pep, a little more peppy. And it's just two guys just talking about what's going on in the world. So we have a great time doing it. We have a good banter and we get kind of stupid, particularly me. <laughs> Andy's the more, you know, educated kind of like uh, he, he has more of deep thoughts. And I'm just kind of like, you know, the stupid guy over here making off the cuff comments. But it's a good dynamic. Um, hopefully people check it out. Yeah, we uh, we enjoy doing it. So I appreciate it, man. Yeah, no problem. Um, Where can they get a hold of you on the social medias if you welcome that interaction? Yeah, it's pretty easy, man. Just um, you know, go to any podcatcher and just look up Two Peas on a Podcast on Twitter, which is where I'm most active. You can follow us at Two Peas on a Pod. That is spelled out T W O. And we're also on Facebook under Two Peas on a Podcast. But I don't, you know, we did, we have a mild following over there. I know you're part of our fan community over there. Um, but we do most of our fan interaction on Twitter. So you know, feel free to hit us up online. Yep, and that link will also be in the show notes for easier access if the listeners want to uh, check out Two Peas on a Pod on Twitter. Uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Paul Stalgic. Uh I've been a little bit more active uh, on the Instagram, but uh, Twitter is definitely where I'm at as well. Uh, I'm part of the Gordon Parts Network, where my other show, We Got Five, is also based out of, and we have a group page called Quartem Parts podcast. Uh, if you want to join in, you can just do a search. And I always put up a thread for uh, my for our list that we got five show. You know, so I'm always asking for listeners to uh, provide feedback on there as well. Um, if you guys haven't done so yet, please consider leaving an iTunes review. Uh, that really help out the show. If you guys check out Two Peas on a podcast, consider leaving them one too. Support your uh, your indie podcasters. You know, we don't get paid like these other big shows with sponsors and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, that's that's all I got. I want to thank everybody for your continued support and thank you guys for listening. And thanks, Gerald, for uh, for joining in. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. Love your show, and I'm glad we were able to hook up finally. I appreciate it, man. Oh, yeah. You'll have to come back again for another one of these uh, uh, childhood gems of yours. Absolutely. All right. We will, uh, we will see you guys later. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid Oh, I won't be afraid Just as long 
Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.